Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Acts chapter 2. Um, and again, as you're going there, this is the third week in our series we've entitled Pillars. Seeking Jesus at the center of our lives, church, and world together. And this series is really aiming to come down to the ground level and discover what that actually looks like. And so we are rolling out and introducing to our church these four different pillars that summarize what that means for us as a community to have Jesus at the center. And so we talked first, and they kind of go in sequential order. We talked first about gospel centrality. That was the first week. Uh, This is the basis of where this all comes from. Our identity in Christ, our relationship with God, our fellowship with each other as believers finds its basis in the good news of what God has done for sinners in his love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to rise victoriously over the grave. That good news of the gospel, it must be so much more than just the thing that gets us in, right? The gospel, it's the power of God into salvation. Paul says it's the very basis in which we stand right now. And so it's so important for us as Christians not to leave the gospel behind. Like, oh, I've been saved. Now i got to go on in my own strength and my own efforts. And we need to see that the only thing that's going to get us past the finish line is the same thing that got us past the starting line. And it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So what God has done in Christ must be at the center of everything that goes on here. Um, not this kind of works-based idea. Uh, the, the, the next step of that is spiritual formation. As a gospel community of gospel-saved and centered individuals, we are called to follow Jesus. And Jesus promises us that if you follow me, he says, I will make you. There is this call to formation, this promise even of God saying, this is who you are, but this is who I'm transforming you to be the good news of God's, uh, God's work of his spirit in my life to change me and transform me. And we each kind of have a different version of that, of who God's making us to be as husbands, as students, as moms, as dads, uh, as followers of Jesus. But ultimately, it's that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. And so spiritual formation, God forms us as we follow him, as we prioritize our lives around being with him, around learning from him, and walking like him. As we follow him, he forms us. So gospel centrality, spiritual formation, and uh, this week we're going to look at authentic community. Authentic community. Next week will be compassionate mission. We'll talk about our ministry to the world around us. But for this morning, as I just said, authentic community is what we're looking at. And uh, each pillar kind of has a sentence to summarize it. So if you'd like to summarize this teaching In a sentence, you could write the family of Jesus at the center of our formation. The family of Jesus at the center of our formation. So, authentic community, Acts chapter 2. Let's take a quick look at this for the time we have left. Uh, I want to read here Acts chapter 2. I'm reading verses 40 down through 47. Acts 2, 40 through 47 Context here is uh, the Apostle Peter has been empowered by the Holy Spirit and filled with great boldness. He has stood up to a crowd of thousands and he is preaching the good news of the gospel. Acts chapter 2 verse 40 in that context says, And with many other words he, Peter, 
testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly, this new community, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, Scripture says they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I love that. That was before Chick-fil-A too. Look at verse 47. It says, praising God, look at this church, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Uh, This is the word of God to which we say, thanks be to God. Father, we thank you truly this morning from the truest parts of our heart. We thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have given us a compass to navigate life with you and ultimately to reveal who you are to us so that we don't have to be here with any speculation about what you're like. Seen most clearly in your son, Jesus, who has made you known in his very life, in his death. So today, um, God, we're we're those that just need, if anything, maybe just a fresh vision of you, Jesus. Maybe we've made you to be someone you're not. We ask you to clarify who you are to us. God, maybe we're here and we've made church something it's not. And if that's true as well, God, we pray you would reveal that to us and and help us repent. And as, as Kyle prayed and as we sang, and help us get back on your way. We know it's better. Uh, Lord, I have a pieced-together sermon today. I have a message that I've prepared, but I invite your Holy Spirit to do what we're all here for, which is um, bring your word into our lives, God. We want to hear from you. So, God, I pray you'd speak. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Authentic community. Authentic community. I have spent a lot of time in church, like a lot of time, like as far back as I remember, I was going to church. Anybody else kind of in that same boat? Church kids say, hey, all right. Uh, Everywhere from Sunday children's ministry to Sunday Christmas events to, I remember growing up at a church, we had a Halloween alternative called Hallelujah Night. the fear of God in you. That's it, right? Um, uh, All my different backgrounds and youth camps and youth groups. I mean, you think I was, you know, I was satisfied after being about 18, 19 years old, but but no, I became a youth pastor. I need a little bit more youth group, a little bit more uh, pizza and and, uh, Mountain Dew. I need a little bit more in my life, you know. Um, uh, But serving the Lord at church, involved in the church, a part of the church, I've been in the church long enough to know that church is often made to be 
a lot different than what it was intended. I've been in church long enough, even for myself, to make it something that's maybe more religious than relational as it really is. That's, that's, that's maybe more superficial rather than substantial as God intended it to be. Uh, and here in the book of Acts, you know what we have? We have a great gift to us as a church. Trying to do church well. Tr- trying to follow Jesus as a community. You know what we have here in the passage we just read? We have the first church. Like the first one. Before church planning was like a thing and cool and popular. Before like that even existed. Before church plants were plants in the church. You know what I mean? Like that's all church plants were. Like before church planning and and church strategy and church organization, there was this community of Christians. Here we have the origin of the church. You know, that's one of the best ways to discover um, really the truth of anything is you go back to its original design, right? You go back to the beginning. A lot of us, we love the origin stories of the superheroes, right? Because you get great insight into into who they are and why they are and and why they are the way they are. And, And same is true of the church. You have this freshly birthed church by the Spirit giving us what I think is a model of what the church is meant to be. And if there's one phrase that we could use to describe what we see here... I think it would be an authentic community. Whatever church has been made to be, let's simplify what church is supposed to be. Church was designed and created and intended by God to be an authentic community. Not a business that we approach as customers. Even the language we use for picking a church isn't kind of that, right? I'm church shopping. Shopping. I'm shopping for a church. Now, I get there's some level of, I want to make sure I'm a part of a biblical church. But even that language, it's like consumer language, isn't it? Rather than this community of people that God has redeemed and called together. Now, there's a season to make sure you're a part of the right community. But just think again about that idea. This authentic community of people that have been united together. That's what we see here in this passage. We see these 3,000 individuals who have been saved. And their salvation has led to this collective union. They're now doing life together. The word together is used there several times. They're they're walking with Jesus together. They're spending time together. They're house to house together. They're in community. They're a family. Uh, Paul expounds on this in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says that when when Christ died on the cross, uh, that work wasn't just a work to redeem us and reconcile us to God. But it was a work to reconcile us to each other, right? It was a work that that broke down every middle wall that we might say, hey, listen, sorry, we have nothing in common, so we're not really going to walk together. Jesus is like, you can't say that anymore. Because as a Christian, you have the thing that matters most in common. You have Jesus. And Jesus brings Jew and Gentile together. Jesus brings West and East Boca together. Like Jesus, he's the great uniter of the divides of humanity. And and the church exists to be the expression of that. This family that's been united together through his gospel. Now, the word community is not used there in this passage uh, exactly in the New King James. Some other translations do use it. But uh, the meaning is there. Uh, The word fellowship is used there in verse 42. Uh, It says they continued in fellowship. Uh, The Greek word there, you might know it, is the word koinonia. It has to do with this shared experience in life. It's really what community means, right? The word community, it comes from the root common, 
common unity. We're united around a shared thing. I, I mean, just think about your own life. Like, what communities are you in? I don't just, like, it's not like a spiritual answer. I just mean, like, literally, like, what, like, like, what do you like to do? And, like, what's the shared thing? Growing up, I was a part of the skateboarding community of South Florida. We had a few uh, uh, sinful things in common, but we also had skateboarding in common. That was our common shared interest, and it united us together. Um, now, as an adult, I'm a part of the dad community. What's up, dads? All right. I follow Instagram pages like Neat Dad and Dad Life, and I love them, all right? They make me laugh and, and relate, all right? Uh, and you could go on and on and on. Another big one, if you know me, I'm, you could say I'm a part of the coffee community, a connoisseur of sorts. Um, I actually, I, I like to say that I'm like sophisticated in coffee. I basically go to Maine and say, Ben, just give me something yummy. That's what I say every time. Um, I know the difference between bad coffee and good coffee, but I'm not at the level to where I know the difference between good coffee and great coffee. I'm just like, that's good and great at the same time. It's great. Uh, so communities, what about that for you? You know, it's that shared thing. There's something you share with that group of individuals. Well, that's the exact word that's even used of this group. In verse 44, it says that they, those who believed, did you see that, were together. And look what it says. They had all things in common. There's the church. They had all things in common, a community that shares the same faith. Now, if coffee and skateboarding can unite two people together, what about Jesus? Think about that. See, we the church, we share some things, don't we? Our community, we, we share first, we share in the same salvation. We share in the same hope of salvation, the same destination of eternal life through Jesus. Uh, we share in the same Father. We're brothers and sisters. We're part of the same family. Uh, we share in the same ultimate joy in life. What's that? The glory of God. The praise of God's name. We share in the same purpose in life. Nothing will, unite, nothing will unite you with someone else than like a shared purpose, right? We share a purpose, which is to know and follow Jesus. Uh, and lastly, I'll say this. We, as the church, we share in the same mission. We have this mission in life to shine the influential light of the gospel on the world around us. We share some things. We share some things about Jesus, and it makes us who we are in the eyes of Jesus, and that's a community. Now, what's amazing about this church in Acts is not only does it display that the church is a community, but I think this is the best part about Acts. Uh, this is a church that is actually living it out. They're actually functioning as a family. They're actually following Jesus together as an authentic community. Um, you know, I feel like the word community in general, just authentic community especially, it's a pretty popular thing. Like, I think you'd be remiss to find someone that's like, no, I just want to be alone forever. I mean, that happens, like, because someone's maybe been deeply wounded. But for the most part, whether we verbalize it or not, I think all of us in some way are looking for authentic community. Would you agree? Like, and I don't just mean community, because you can have that anywhere. Uh, for, for most of us, especially those of us who have been in the church for some time, I think there's this hunger for more often, isn't there? Like, I don't just want community. That's such a church buzzword these days. I want real relationships. 
I want something substantial. That's what we see here with this church, this substantial community. Now, let me give you a definition of what I, what I mean when I say that this is our pillar, authentic community. Here is how I would define this pillar for our church. Authentic community, as displayed here in Acts chapter 2, is the biblically intended expression uh, for the church existing as a truly connected web of deeply substantial relationships. I'll unpack that a little bit. Authentic community, we, we know first that it's the biblically intended expression of the church. This is what God had in mind when he said, on this rock, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. It was this idea. Um, I want you to think, too, about the disciples. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, we saw that last week, that call to follow Jesus was also a call to join his community, right? There was no, like, Jesus and me Christianity. Jesus didn't say, on this rock, I will build individual, isolated Christians. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to build the church, right? Follow me meant come follow me in my community. And when you look at the community that Jesus assembled, right? Disciples assemble. It's like, that's the group. Those are the guys that changed the world. And not just that, but also look at their differences. Look at their personality differences. Isn't it amazing how, like, being a Christian, it unites me in relationships with people that I would avoid elsewhere. Right? Like anywhere else, I'd be like, oh, man, I'm, I'm not, you're not in my community anymore, you know? Unfriend, okay? Like unfollow, whatever. But the church, it's like Jesus is like, okay, I want to get this personality with this personality. We're going to get a soft-spoken person like John. We're going to get a, a loud-mouthed person like Peter. And we're going to put them together, and we're going to see how that goes, right? But we're going to get Simon the Zealot. An anarchist who was like a Sicario in that day would go and cut the throats of Roman soldiers in the night, sneak up, do it, and run away in a crowd. But what was so against the government that he would even murder. I mean, that's Simon the Zealot. And Jesus is making his small group, right? He's like, Simon the Zealot, sit there. Matthew, the tax collector, get over here, okay? Matthew works for the Roman government. He's like, sit there next to Simon, okay? You guys are accountability partners now, okay? Look. <laughs> Send each other scripture every day, you know, that kind of thing. Like, this is what Jesus does. This is his intention. This community of people, these different body parts, this is God's intention, right? And, and it's meant to exist authentically as this truly connected web of deeply substantial relationships. That's what this is meant to be. Following Jesus together. Uh, you get a picture of this in 1 Corinthians as Paul is teaching, right? You've seen this before. Here's the, the language Paul uses about the church in 1 Corinthians is he says the church is like a body. I love this picture. He says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whatever our differences, whether slaves or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. It goes on to say in verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And that's the picture of, of who we are. Uh, verse 27, he says it's so clear. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Uh, this great picture to say, whether you like it or not, you're a part of the family. You're a part of the body. This is God's design for the church, not just to be some surface level community, but a deeply connected web of members. Members. Now, that's kind of like a, 
It's an interesting word. Depending what church background you come from, membership either gets you excited or it gets you nervous. You're either like, yeah, commitment. I like this. I'm excited. I, this church needs some membership. You know, or you get like nervous. You're like, what, wait, what's the commitment? What are they going to do? What do I have to do? Like, what, what's, the, what's the ladder I have to climb? Okay, like, are they going to look at my bank statements? Like, what's going on here? This is getting cre- Like, we all, there's like kind of this like triggering thing that can happen with that word. But here at Solus, we like to like just dumb it down to like a simple level and just say, hey, we have a functional membership here at Solus. Which just means that we seek to function as scripture says we are. Which is family members. Members of the same body. The idea is that whether or not you like the word membership, whatever it means for you, there's certainly a vision in Scripture that says this is what the church in some way is supposed to look like, deeply connected, all right? Now, the, the reason why we see um, the church functioning this way, Jesus leading the disciples to follow him this way in community, uh, is because, kind of a simple point here, um, we humans, individuals, need community. You need community. I need community. I always make an effort to say that, that as the pastor, I'm just another body part, right? I'm as desperate and in need of your ministry as you are for mine. We are all in this together, and we all need each other. Now, that's just true on a human level, right? When God made Adam, and he said it's not good that man should be alone. That's just true generally. Scripture says a fool isolates himself. That's, that's not what you were created to do. But even spiritually speaking, uh, we, we talked last week about who God's making us to be. And Scripture would say you cannot become who's God, who God's making you to be on your own. It's impossible. It's not God's design. You and I, we need the body. In fact, uh, Paul makes sure he says that in, in chapter 12 as well. He says in verse 21, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Paraphrase, not one person in the church can say of another that they don't need them. We all need each other. We need community. And maybe in another teaching I would expound on these, but I usually I like to give these four things. Just giving you a bit of a community fire host this morning, but I like to give these four things as some of the, I guess, main reasons why we need community to follow Jesus, why we need to be truly known and deeply connected to one another in a substantial way. Uh, first, I'd say is so that we can be sharpened. Sharpened. The idea there is we all have certain blunt edges, don't we? And God wants us to be effective in life. He wants us to be an effective tool in his hand. But there's nothing worse than a dull tool, right? That'll preach in church. There's nothing worse than a tool in church, right? Okay, but you get the idea, right? We need to be sharpened. God wants to make us effective. He wants us as the church to be effective. Now, the way that God sharpens us is through the friction of relationship, right? Proverbs 27 As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Now, sharpening is like, it sounds cool, like I want to be sharp. But have you ever touched something sharp? It hurts. Sandpaper. Grinding, right? It's like friction. It's it's, it's difficult. It's painful. But what it produces is more than uh, anything we could ever get to on our own. Um, And one of the ways that I, I often see God produce this in the church is he gets, again, he gets people together that would kind of avoid each other without the church. And you can do that. You can only be in community where there's chemistry. You can do that. But you will be stunting your spiritual growth. 
You will not be as sharp as God intends you to be because your love will only go to those who are able to experience it and you're able to share it with. Sometimes God gets us around people that are a little sharper (laughs) to sharpen us. Uh, Strengthening as well. We need to be strengthened. Like God strengthens us, but God intends to strengthen us through his people, through his church. And that's a, a major part of community. Are you down? Well, maybe God has a friend to come alongside of you to be that strength for you, to pick you up. I think of David who, when he's in the wilderness running from God, God sends him Jonathan. The Bible says about Jonathan that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. Have you experienced that before through the church? That, there's nothing like that. I can't tell you, just, it's just been three years. It's felt like dog years, right? It's felt like 30 years for me. I've got these gray hairs now. It's coming. You've seen them. Don't, you could tell me, okay? Um, but there's been times where my hands are just like weak and the ministry is heavy and, and, the, and the job is hard. And, and God brings a friend. God brings a brother to strengthen me in the Lord. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, woe to him who doesn't have that. So we need to be strengthened. We need to be straightened as well. I don't know about you, but like my car that needs an alignment, I need an alignment. I tend to like, if I just leave it up to me, the wheel just goes this way. You ever notice that? Like my default is not perfect obedience to Jesus, right? I don't default into this mode of, watch out guys, loving God, loving people. Here we go, all right? I don't default into holiness. I don't default into wisdom. My heart is deceitful. Your heart is deceitful and wicked. Who could know it? And so Hebrews says, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but exhort one another daily, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I wouldn't be concerned that you're struggling with sin. Hear me out. Because that's a human problem. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the community of strugglers. Amen? I would be concerned if you're struggling in secret. If you're struggling alone, it's not God's design for you. So we, we need to be straightened, and God sends us people to uh, sort of like I think of my, one of my dad's, uh, one of his, his uh, cars he, he had was a minivan. It was a great minivan. It's like when you first became grandpa and you were all in. You're like, I'm getting a minivan. And uh, now, he, now we're back to the Sonata or the uh, Santa Fe. All right, but in the minivan, there was this really cool feature that when the car would veer, it would beep. Which was, that's good for me. I know that. It's like, it's letting you know, and we need friends in our lives that can be kind of like that indicator. You know what I'm saying? So just some more illustrations to help think about that. Fourthly, we we need community to be stirred, don't we? Like, that's what Hebrews says, like, don't forsake one another, but stir one another up into love and good works. Like, this is why we need community. Um, Just like my default maybe isn't always to walk with Jesus in a straight line, I've also noticed the default mode of my heart it's often staleness. Like, I find that. Like, it's really easy for the fresh things of Jesus to grow stale if I'm not stirring it up. It just is. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed, like, when you just put off time with Jesus, right? When you disconnect from the church, you don't magically end up more in love with Jesus on the other side. In fact, you're at the place where you're like, I got to stir the things of the Lord up. Do you know that experience? I, I got I to take what's become stale, and I need to make it fresh again. A fresh love for the Lord. What we see in Hebrews, that that comes through community. So all these different things that come through community, man. This vision for life together, walking with Jesus together. 
Uh, Jesus teaches again that it's something that we need. And I'll go back to this point to say, for the most part, I would say that all these things, maybe even like universally you could say, these are all things that we want, isn't it? Like authentic community is a really popular desire today. I talk to people all the time, and they're looking for churches, and they're trying to figure out life, and they're like, man, I just want community. I want, it's like everyone you talk to, it's like, how do we get community, community, community? Here's the question that I was led to ask as I was praying and I was preparing. If authentic community is so popular, why is it so rare? If it's so popular, if authentic community is what we all truly desire, because we agree with Jesus that we can't do this on our own, why is it so hard to find? And I don't just mean like, yeah, all those churches. No, look at your own life, right? Why is it so rare to find authentic community? And I heard the Lord say, because it's hard. <laughs> because it requires some things, doesn't it? Authentic community requires some really hard things. It doesn't just happen with the inkling of desire to really get and receive. And for us, man, for us as a church, soulless church, here we are following Jesus in the 21st century. For us to be a church that, that even closely resembles this first church in Acts, it's going to require some things. It's going to take some work. A couple of those things are, write these few things down. Write down relational intentionality. Write that down, relational intentionality. First thing. Um, when we look at this passage in Acts, we see there's this sense of relational intentionality, isn't there? I, like, when I look at it, it's pretty cool. It says 3,000 people get saved. And I was kind of doing the math here, like church leadership stuff. 3,000 people get saved. At Pentecost, there's like a little over 120 Christians at the time. So you have about 120 Christians. Imagine this, okay? So our church is about 120 people. Okay. Say the Lord wills that next week we grow to 3,000. He's like... We're going to just, you know, we're going we're gonna to Instagram market and spend a billion dollars on it. And we're going to say we're going to have like a petting zoo. And three, th no, I'm just kidding. Why did I say that? I mean substantial salvation, okay? So say, say boom, 3,000 people. You call that a good problem, right? Like, oh, people are saved, but now we have 3,000 people. Which people have always asked me, like, Andrew, like what's, like, what's your heart? Like, is it a mega church? You know? And I'm like, what's the alternative? A micro church? Like, I don't, like, my, my, I mean, we, we, as a church, we want to we serve Jesus. We want to re reproduce our church. We want to plant more churches. That's the long-term vision. But at the same time, it says the Lord was adding daily to the church, right? And that, that's something that I want to make sure we have near and dear to our heart. Like, man, there's so many strategies today to how to get more people in the seats, isn't there? There's so much you can do that subtly steps between the church and God. And it's like, here's what we want at our church. We, would, we just want to let God add who he wants. We just want to let God do it. And so if the Lord intended that, and the, boom, you, you have this explosion. So here they have 3,000 people. It says then all of a sudden, those 3,120 people, it says they started meeting house to house. Now, many of you might just read past that. But I cannot get over how they were able to coordinate that many small groups. We're trying to do it with 120 people. It's hard. 
Like, it's, it's taken weeks of, like, prayer and, like, okay, we got to make sure we have the place and the time. All right, and then, like, where, okay, what time are they going to meet? Like, are kids allowed? Is that going to be okay? All right, like, what's the demographics? You know, like, well, are they going to bring food, not bring food? It's, like, so many logistics. Like, which park, which night, right? And it's, like, I don't, it doesn't say, like, and then the small groups pastor led the church to be. You know what you have? You have enough of a desire for community that people are actually assembling themselves. Interesting, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that all of the work needs to be decentralized away from the church. We have a role here to lead and to shepherd. But I'll just say, man, so much of the church today in America is such like spoon-fed Christianity. And it's like, hey, we're following Jesus here. All we need is the sense in which I go, I need community. And then you know what you do? You find it, right? That intentionality is so important. Not just like, they'll build it and I'll come, right? There's got to be the sense in which you're intentional. And I was thinking through, like, what does that actually mean? I think of a few practical ways to be like this early church that was just intentional about being in relationship. Um, the first thought is, number one, show up. That's an important point, actually. Okay. It's amazing what God does in church when people come to church, okay? The opposite is also true, okay? But just show, it's amazing what God will do with people who show up and show up consistently. Just show up. It starts there. Be intentional to show up. Show up at church on Sunday with your family. Show up in a community group. I won't even say show up on time. I won't even say that. You can do that. Extra points in heaven. But just show up. Just being present. There is no quality relationship without quantity of time spent together. Another way to be intentional is, is not just show up. But what about this? Seek out. Seek out. Like usually if someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I'm really having trouble finding community, I'll ask them, well, who have you invited over for dinner? Who have you invited to grab coffee? Nobody's, pers- I can't tell you how much I hear that. Nobody's pursuing me. Who are you pursuing? This sort of like self-service, like I'm the customer mindset. Like, listen, we got to get rid of that. We got to weed that out of the church. Like we've been sought by Jesus, not to stand by passively, but to go out and seek others. Seek it out. Don't wait for someone to ask you, hey, are you struggling? Go and find someone and confess. Reach out. You've got to seek out. Another way to be relationally intentional is to, I think this is an important one, step in. So we got to show up if we want to be intentional. We got to seek out. We also need to step in. Um, when, I, when I think of stepping in, what I think of is, is being the hospitable, welcoming presence that you are hoping someone else maybe would be. Just step into the need. What would that look like for you? What would that look like for you to take a step of faith to start stepping into this role of just being an includer? Being the person that's inviting someone over your house. You know, I think by and large... We have really grown as a church in friendliness. We've come a long way. We've got a long way to go, but we've come a long way. Um, it's been interesting watching the two-minute mingle get better. Okay? And not just be like a flock of flamingos, like, hi. You know, like, and over time, like, it's like, okay, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to. But, like, how about this? What about during the two-minute mingle? What about moving forward? You stop waiting for someone to come to you, and you step in, you start welcoming someone that looks like they don't have anyone to talk to, right? What about the hospitality team? Guys, we are the hospitality team, okay? 
We're working on that, all right? But what about a hospitable church? I'll take a, hosp- uh, I'll take a hospitable culture over a hospitality team any day. All right, so just think through that. Willing vulnerability. I'm going to run through these next ones. Willing vulnerability. What else is required for authentic community? Authentic community requires this willingness to be open and honest about who you really are. Otherwise, it's inauthentic, right? And, like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's a, balance, like, there's a big movement in the church, like the transparency movement, and I think it's great um, where it's just like, listen, like, The gospel frees me to be the mess that I am, right? And I think there's a place for that. There's also, I think, some of this reaction sometimes that happens where it's like, okay, let's bring it back to center. There's also a biblical virtue called discretion. You don't have to share that right here. It's a better setting, right? So, but but I think for most of us, I, I wouldn't look on at our church and go, man, we just share too much about our personal lives. It's really a problem. We're just too vulnerable. Ease off the the vulnerable vulnerability, okay? Like, I think when I look at our church, man, our church needs some fresh revival from the gospel that gives me an identity that I don't have to try to fight for through my appearance and my reputation. Like, when I know that God has accepted me as I am, I can be who I am before you. I'm free. It's interesting. You don't see it in the text how important this is, but this this can be really misconstrued. But in chapter 5, There's this couple in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. They die. They're killed by God because of hypocrisy. It's really interesting. Like, it it says that everyone's bringing their gifts to the altar for the ministry, and they sold a property, and they brought like this offering, um, and they were secretly, they, they kind of were like, here's what the house sold for. There was no like Zillow back then. So they're like, here's, here's my offering. And they like said like a blessing over it or something, like all that I have. And like, but behind the back, they had like two mil or something, you know? <laughs> and um, Peter says to them, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a portion of those proceeds? It says Ananias pff, fell down dead. His wife comes in. Where's my husband? She falls down dead. It's heavy. I, I wasn't there. I don't know the full story, but I read it, and it's like, here. listen, if anything, maybe God was, like, making a point, like, that, that's not my church. No. We have this pure, authentic thing coming on, and then hypocrisy comes in. And here's what I'll say. Hypocrisy will kill you. It will. It will kill you spiritually. It will kill you emotionally. It will. Like, so maybe a question to ask is, like, what are you keeping back? What are you holding back? What are you hiding? And where does the gospel need to inform your vulnerability? Remember Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I'm a physician. I've come for the sick. A lot of Christians today spend most of their life hiding their symptoms. It's like me whenever I cough in public now, you know? I'm good. I'm just, I just coughed. I just coughed. I'm allowed to cough, okay. Right. But it's almost like in the church, maybe because we've been so wounded by Pharisaism, that we got to hide. Listen, not here. Not here. The gospel frees you to be the mess that you are. 
Be willing, be vulnerable, be honest about your brokenness. Don't hide your symptoms. Jesus came for people like you and me. Believe it or not, that person that's judging you, that is their sickness, okay? They're sick too. Um, there's gotta be humble receptivity. This is huge for authentic community. Like God is not gonna be able to work in our lives if we're just a community of know-it-alls. Um, it says here about this church that they received the word. Did you see that there in verse 40? Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. I, I love that. So they received the word of God. They were receptive to God's word. And then they spent every day discussing God's word together. And I just imagine it to be this culture of receptivity. Isn't that beautiful? A, a culture of individuals that um, understands that they don't have all the answers. That they don't see the whole truth. A, a culture of people who acknowledge that they have blind spots that God puts community in our lives to help us see, right? This culture of receptivity. You know, the opposite of a culture of receptivity is a culture of defensiveness, right? Well, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. Like, And there's times where, like, you don't trust someone's motive, you don't trust what they're saying, and I get that. But, you know, simple principles in Scripture are things like this. Be clothed with humility and just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he'll lift you up. Like, there's something to be said about the way that God rewards people who just say, hey, thanks for saying that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about it and ask God, what, what about what you're saying is, is true in my life? I really appreciate it's hard to speak true things. Faithful are the wounds of a friend that hurt. But I'm going to be humble enough not to immediately react in defense. Because there's just no growth there. There's not. Like, I would even have you challenge your own life and go, has your spiritual growth stunted? And could it be that it's because you um, aren't receiving from others? Could it be that you have blind spots that you're not letting others speak into? Could it be that, goes back to the other point, that you're not admitting your blind spots, you're hiding them? A humble heart that receives God's word. Uh, I think it's so important. Humble receptivity. Uh, Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. It also says, listen to counsel and uh, receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. So just, just an important part there. Uh, for authentic community to thrive, you need a sense of humble receptivity. Mike, go ahead and throw the, the list up. We'll, we'll finish these out. I'll invite the band to come up as we wrap up. Um, fourth, biblical unity is really important for a church. Uh, biblical unity. We see here they had all things in common. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, it says about this church, uh, it says that they were of one mind and one heart. Like, so from God's perspective, unity is such like a buzzword today. Like, unity, unity. It's like, what does it even mean? You know, like, what does that mean? Smile? Like, surface level positivity? Like, like Jesus is like, no, unity is not some weightless thing. You know, he... In Luke 12, he's like, I actually came to bring some division, so there can be unity. So, so the issue isn't, isn't just, like, find unity. It's, it's find biblical unity. It's find unity around what matters most. It's find unity around the truth. Uh, but, but to fight for that, there's got to be some hard things done. Um, and, and I think in this room, when it comes to biblical unity, some of us are unbiblical in maybe one of two ways. A lot of us, our, our struggle to have authentic community with biblical unity is uh, sort of this unbiblical approach to never speak the truth. 
So when you're confronted, instead of dealing with it, Matthew 18, and keeping the spirit of unity through confrontation, Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth to your neighbor. You kind of just cover with love, cover with love, cover with love, cover with love. You overlook the transgression to the point to where you just are stuffing it. And you're unified in behavior, but not in heart. And Jesus says they were of one heart. That's what scripture says. So that's one extreme there. The other extreme is where like all you ever do is confront people. And in the name of unity, you're divisive. Like if you're privy to speaking the truth, you're like confrontation, it's my spiritual gift, that's my thing, I love it. It's like, well, let's try the grace thing. Okay? Biblical unity. Uh, lastly, I, I want to close with this last one, resilient fidelity. Fidelity is loyalty, it's commitment. When you look at a church like this that's opened up their lives, it says this about themselves, that they are continuing steadfastly together. This might be the requirement of authentic community that holds everything else together. And it's the virtue of sticking to it. It's the virtue of seeing things through. It's the virtue that stops approaching church seeing it as a business and yourself as a customer, but you start approaching church as the family of God. And just like your biological family, you don't get to pick your siblings, right? Sometimes we'd like to unpick them and then repick them. Okay, they come back. But same with the church. We, we don't get to pick the family of God. That's what God has done in his grace. But he's brought us together. And here's the good news, ready? He's picked you, right? He said, come into my family. And God says, I have a work to do in and through you in the church. And it's going to require some things, but, but here's the biggest thing. You've got to be committed to my family. And when I say that, I, I don't mean that in the way that churches have manipulated that word and said, like, God will never call you out of solace if you care about commitment. That's all I'm saying. And we'll celebrate that. But as long as God has you here, what does commitment look like? And, and commitment that involves like some resilience. Because for commitment to be commitment, it has to be tested, doesn't it? That's marriage. But here's what we see. You know, God always, God always produces the best things through commitment. So, so that personality that you've been trying to avoid, maybe come a little closer. And commit your way through and watch what God does. I can't tell you the amount of friends I had that I thought were going to be my enemies or without Jesus should have been. Now, um, the question to end this, end this with is, how then, right? Where do we find the actual strength to become an authentic community and adopt these different purposes? And that question should always lead us to look in the same direction, the same person. It's the very person of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all these things, isn't he? The way that Jesus has relationally, intentionally pursued us. Wow, we see how Jesus pursued me. How, how can I not pursue others? Uh, the way that we see that Jesus made himself so vulnerable as to hang on a cross, not hiding any part of who he was, and inviting us to be in the light, fully known by him in love. We see Jesus, this example of humble receptivity, that even when he was reviled, he didn't revile back. 
that we see Jesus constantly challenging his disciples to take the posture of humility. In Jesus, we see one who brings a sword to divide, yet also is able to unify every tribe, nation, and tongue, unlike any other shared interest. When you get the picture of heaven, you see Jesus as the great unifier on his throne with every kind of person before him worshiping as a community. In Jesus, and ultimately Jesus, you see resilient fidelity. He commits to his bride. If anything, let that encourage you today. Maybe you go, man, my commitment level is low. I haven't been committed to God. I haven't been faithful to God. And here's the good news of the gospel. He knows, but he's been faithful to you. He's been committed to you. He's displayed all of this by going to the cross, being your savior, so that today we can, of course, be a family, but a family that's following and worshiping him. Amen? Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.